This episode of the Ringer F1 show is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by ArmorAll. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use ArmorAll to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, ArmorAll, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. I'm Derek Thompson, the host of the podcast, Plain English. We tackle technology, politics, culture, history, everything that's happening in the world and why it matters. New episodes of Plain English drop every Tuesday and Friday on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. celebrate the first non-Red Bull win of the 2023 F1 season. Carlos Sainz wins the Singapore Grand Prix in thrilling fashion, holding off fellow podium finishers Lando Norris and Lewis Hamilton by the skin of his teeth, rounding out the rest of the top 10 after a rather unfortunate crash from George Russell on the last lap is Charles Leclerc, Max Verstappen, Pierre Gasly, Oscar Piastri, Sergio Perez, Liam Lawson, and Kevin Magnussen. There's a lot to get into on the Red Bull front, and we have some interesting Ferrari strategy decisions to discuss that really kind of seem to have won them this race. Joining me to get into all of this is Spanners Ready. Spanners, we did it. We made it to a non-Red Bull win. Can you believe it? I don't think it's that ridiculous, Meg, to say, like, we did it, because I kind of feel (laughs) a collective collective responsibility for F1, which is ridiculous, because I'm no one. I'm on a sofa in Essex in Europe, and (laughs) I've always seen myself, though, as a cheerleader for Formula One. So growing up, mm. I didn't have a lot of F1 fans around me. And my, my best mate, Dave, he used to always say to me, why would I watch F1? Like, it's just like beads on a string. You just pull one <laughs> end down and then the beads go to the other end. That is a perfect Geordie accent, in case you're wondering. <laughs> so I'm always cheerleading, like, no, there's so much nuance. There's so much to, to celebrate in F1. And F1's been taking a hammering with the Verstappen dominance. Mm-hmm. But just under the surface, those of us who have been apologizing for F1 and saying, no, look, this happens. You do sometimes get a runaway leader, but look at the stuff that's going on behind. Today is the proof. So behind Max Verstappen, Max Verstappen and Red Bull have had a nightmare weekend. But behind that, we had four drivers from three different teams, all closing each other down within two seconds of each other, all race with tactical masterclasses going on, everybody trying something different. Both teams, uh, all three teams, throwing things against the wall 
to aim for the result they wanted. You know, two teams genuinely in contention for that win with the three drivers. And it was just beautiful F1 at one of the historically dullest tracks of the season. So, so really, like, the, the whole Verstappen dominance might have been disguising an F1 that is healthy underneath the plaster. We just need every race to be at this track, apparently, and then that'll no, that negate no, some, no. some of the advantages. Be careful, be careful, steady. No, because the Singapore <laughs> Grand Prix, I mean, it, if I was going to, you know, coach people on how to enjoy F1, mm. when it comes to the Singapore Grand Prix, it's about expectation management because mm. you feel the aero wash from so far back. Uh, I think they've reported like eight seconds back because you've got, you know, closed in walls and fencing and it, it just disturbs the air for eight seconds as the car behind is following, which means your aerodynamics don't work within five to eight seconds already. Mm. You know, whereas in other tracks, you might start to feel it one to two seconds ahead. But what we saw today was, you know, with the Ferraris, with Leclerc, when they were asking him to manage his brake temperatures and, and not scrub his tires, because if you are in the aero wash too much, then, then you're not getting downforce and your tires are sliding, you're going to use up your tires. They were telling him to sort of drop back kind of, to three seconds. So it really did feel like it was a little bit less of an issue to today. And also they had less um, tire wear in general because they had taken out a stadium section. So, mm -hmm. so given that the expectations were so low, this has <laughs> delivered probably one of the, the races of, of the season. And I'm just delighted as, a, as an F1 apologist that I can now point <laughs> to people. I, I can now message my, my friends who have been a little bit, eh, season's gone off the boil a little bit. But I can message them now and go, definitely check out the highlights. This was a great F1 race. It was very, very fun. And we will get into all of the Red Bull of it. But before we dig into that, I want to start with Ferrari. And what I thought was a pretty pitch perfect race from both Carlos and from the strategy team from Ferrari as a whole. Sorry, sorry. Was... Wait, what, what? You're breaking up. What did you just say? A perfect, <laughs> Can a perfect... you believe it? Can you believe it? I am not being facetious. I am being completely 100% yeah, honest, man. which I am. I'm as shocked as the rest of you. It started off as a, a somewhat boring, rather processional style race, I would say. Um, and that was definitely by design from Ferrari's vantage point. Carlos Sainz started off in pole position with Charles in third. They managed to get Charles past George Russell on the opening lap, starting him off on the soft tires, which was a good way to go. And from there, they were really able to dictate the strategy of the race, kind of holding the pack back, putting some distance between Charles and Carlos, trying to give him as much of a buffer as is possible well, um, as Mercedes, I believe, put it to George Russell, kind of sacrificing Charles in the process, which occasionally you have to do if you want to get your team a win. But while you and I were messaging, I said something along the lines of like, they finally figured out how to manage their drivers, which it <laughs> seems no. like was kind of what won them the race for, for much of this season. It's felt like Carlos and Charles have sort of been dictating their own strategy, giving them you know, their feedback and saying, well, this is what I want to do. And this is how we're going to do it. And Ferrari finally came over the radios today and was telling Charles, you know, we need you three to five seconds back from Carlos. We need to build this gap for this reason and for pit strategy and things like that. And it just felt like they were finally the adults in the room and finally kind of figured out the way to go about finishing a race. You've done yourself a disservice. You text me and said, um, you said, Ferrari have finally decided to manage their drivers, which is savage. <laughs> and it's true because I've not seen them take this kind of overall control of race management 
And just the whole weekend, they seem to have this figured out from a long way out to go, let's let's prioritize Saturday because it is a track mm-hmm. where you can park the bus and you can you can manage things. And they managed to get both cars right up there. So when did they start? They started P1 and P3? Yes. No, P1 and P2. No, P1 Three. and P3. Yeah. So they had Carlos Sainz out there with a, with a good qualifying setup and get fires off ahead. They have Leclerc start on the softs, which seems to just, you know, give them that extra half a yard off the start. So there, there mm-hmm. they are in the perfect position, P1, P2. And I just, I don't know why we don't see teams do this more often, probably because of inter-team driver politics. But I, I don't think it's that they were sacrificing Leclerc, but... The common sense is you've got two drivers now. What do we do? What's the best thing we can do? Mm-hmm. So, you know, a track like this and Monaco, you do wonder, why don't you ever see the number two driver of a team just park it and just let the other guy disappear off a minute down the road and go, well, there's a guaranteed win. But they, I think it was a little bit more subtle than that. I don't think they were just saying, right, Leclerc, back everyone up. I think they were trying to keep Leclerc out of that air wash where they were going to overheat the brakes affect the aerodynamics, lose the tyres. And there was a bit of an ongoing battle between Leclerc and his engineer. So at first they were saying three seconds, have a three-second gap. Yep. Leclerc spent a long time right in the gearbox of signs, mm-hmm. and you go, that's got to be hurting his tyres. So you're wondering there, does Leclerc know that there's a team game going on? And right. Then, and then, and then, but then it was the point where they said, right, build a five-second gap. You go, mm-hmm. oh, oh, okay, okay. So now they're looking at, Signs win. Everything from that point mm-hmm. was getting Carlos signs P1. And they they ended up getting a little bit lucky, I think, with the timing of the safety car and them being able to sort of double stack their drivers in that. I think it was around the, the lap 20 to 25 range, which is about when you would be looking to kind of pit the mediums anyway. And unfortunately, Leclerc got a little bit screwed by some some pit lane machinations when they had to hold him off and he got passed by Lando and one of the Mercedes, which was very, very mm. tough to see. Um, it but it happened. The, it was his own fault, though. Yeah, I, I mean, they had to hold him off because they couldn't release him, but. No, no, no. On the entry, on the entry to the pit lane, right? Because we've seen drivers do this. When you're the second driver of your team, you know you're going to have to wait for the car in front of you to get into the pits, have the tires changed, and you don't want to be sat there behind waiting. So if you slow down on the entry to the pit lane, what you're doing is making sure you've got enough of a gap so that you're not being fouled in that way. So when you get to the pit box, it's clear. So I think he probably overdid that. And we have Mm. seen drivers penalized for that in the past. So you have to play a little bit of a balancing act. What's reasonable? How much time could I reasonably lose to my teammate in front to give myself clear air? But what that meant was that instead of waiting behind Carlos Sainz because he was right there and he might have had to wait a second, he actually backed up the pack behind him, which just ensured that there was a, a big traffic jam behind him. And that's, mm. not, always, that's not always the case because normally in a Grand Prix, the cars would have been a bit more spread out. But because Ferrari had been deliberately keeping the pack together. And you heard later on in the race, Carlos Sainz's engineer, it was all about keep the pack backed up, keep mm-hmm. the pack backed up. They wanted to do this in a cycling peloton style. So Leclerc, <laughs> I, in my opinion, in from the sofa, I think Leclerc misjudged that and he did what he would do in a normal Grand Prix, which is just give himself a bit of a gap. But because everyone was so close, by the time he came in, there was a train of cars going past him. And I think he ended up losing two places, two places. after that. So he lost to... To Norris and to Norris um, and one of the Mercedes. I 
assume George. So that would have been yeah, that would have been Russell. And then and then of course it immediately got worse because I don't I don't know if it was um, uh, talked about much on the broadcast, but like he he really nearly slammed into the back of Norris, who had a failed overtake mm-hmm. on Russell ahead of him. So Norris ended up going off and then losing to Lewis Hamilton. So. It, it just like Leclerc's race just went from from bad to worse at every point, and then and then he sort of took himself out of it again by not managing the tire wear, and his tires were absolutely destroyed by toast. the end of the race. Absolutely toast. He almost got passed by Max Verstappen at the very end. I think Max Max at one point was like ten or twelve seconds behind with under ten laps to go, and he almost made that up. I think they said on the broadcast he was lapping at 1.4 seconds a lap faster than Charles, which just shows you how absolutely horrendous Charles's tires were at the end. But Carlos did absolutely everything I, I think you would want him to do. And, and Ferrari did as well to help him get to the end. And there, you know, it, it got very contentious at the end as his tires were going off and Mercedes managed a, a late pit stop to get on fresh mediums. And they were lapping, you know, cl- like one and a half to two seconds faster than and Charles and Lando behind him. But Carlos did one thing toward the end that I think was smart and we can get into whether it was, you know, on purpose, whether he just didn't have pace or whatever, but he ended up letting Lando back into the DRS window. And I think whether it was on purpose or not, it did help Lando out a little bit (laughs) and kind of keep him in front of sort of the surging George Russell and Lewis Hamilton behind him on those fresher tires. It's a hard one to tease out, so we could just say, "Well, Mister Signs, he would never, he'd never lie to us." So let's take that. <laughs> uh, he's clever enough to know, you know, that tactic of of letting the car behind have DRS, and and that that helps. So that means that they can defend easily from the car behind. If that was your teammate, I think that would be a lot clearer. Mm-hmm. So we go right. Well, the, the first thing you said there. Well, did he have the pace actually to to do anything else other than that? So I think they were saying here the delta to overtake is about two seconds, which is yes. higher higher than other other tracks. Like, okay, so if you're karting and you're very close pace, you know, someone can make a small mistake and you can close in on them and, and then you can take a dive down the inside and you can keep kind of going back and forth. The reason why you need a bit of a, a pace delta, so you need to be going a certain amount faster lap by lap to the car you're trying to overtake is because of all the, you know, the aerodynamics and, and the aero mm-hmm. wash gets harder as you get... But, behind a car so as you get behind a car your lap time will go down as your front wing doesn't doesn't work as well so you need to be going at least two seconds a lap faster here so that when you get into that aero wash you can still have enough speed to get past and and it's higher here than than a lot of other tracks so it was it was interesting to go well you know at singapore he's not going to be two seconds slower than than norris so he's got a certain Mm -hmm. amount of of freedom but also, I don't think he could get away because at that point, you know the Mercedes are charging. You've been trying to save your tires as best as you can. If you've got the the tires to go, you probably would have gone earlier. And and looking at the, the lap times as the Mercedes started their charge, they were kind of doing you know forties, forties, forties for for a long time. And then you suddenly see right, he's going at thirties. The the Mercedes thirty eights. Um, the Mercedes are going at 36 something and you see that gap start to close and you realize at one point Sainz isn't managing anymore he's pushing Mm -hmm. so I think by the time the Mercedes got to him I think it was a happy coincidence that that was his pace and that was enough exactly to go right well I'm giving Norris the DRS without having to push and take any crazy risks and being comfortable that the McLaren doesn't have this delta that we're talking about 
to get past. So the stars kind of aligned there. I don't think Carlos Sainz was going, I will drive one second a lap slower and that will <laughs> give me the buffer. So yeah. I, I think that's probably true, especially considering Carlos was on the radio yelling at his race engineer saying, I want every lap an update on the gap to Lando, which which sounds a lot more yeah. stressed out than it does like he's having this grand plan in his head. But I do also <laughs> like the image of him and Lando colluding so that they could get the one, two and oh, not it's a have better a, story. Let's not- say it was that. <laughs> let's go. Let's go with that. So, no, I think it was a case of, um, you know, the the Ferrari had overall was a faster car overall had better tactics, better race pace, but as has been characteristic for the Ferrari for the whole season, it just doesn't quite have the tire management and the longevity of tire stints than other cars. And even though this was the softest three tires of the Mm -hmm. Pirelli range, when you take into account that they took out, you know, a few one, two, three, four corners, I think of the the circuit layout that benefited Ferrari. So, you know, it's a shorter race, less demanding on the tires, and that gave them the opportunity to do a one-stop, you know, at all. So, yeah, start, I'm not trying to, sounds like I'm trying to take away stuff from Carlos. I'm not. <laughs> it's good. This was their day. And a Ferrari from, say, you know, Monaco a couple of years ago, or, uh, you know, some of the Silverstone shenanigans they've had, you know, where you think back to stop inventing, and you think back to, you know, tires not, intermediates not being ready, there are a mm-hmm. hundred days you can think of where Ferrari don't win this. And the demeanor over the radio was so different that you go, has something changed? Did they, yeah. did they all have a, did they all go kayaking together and have like a <laughs> team bonding weekend? And it was like Derek from HR, like gathered everyone around this, right? Okay. We're going to have a talking spanner. You can't talk unless you've got, you know, the spanner and they've all gotten together. Team morale went up and they've coordinated it. So everyone in that team is happy except Charles Leclerc. Yeah, which which may be tough going forward, but but I think I would hope the result this weekend would smooth over any ruffled feathers from Charles's behalf. And, you know, hopefully this means that for him going forward, maybe he's on the receiving end of some good strategy. Maybe calls. he's owed one. Do you think so? Who knows? You, I mean, wh- it, it felt like they like went out and hired a strategy department, honestly. Like I know they already <laughs> employed one, but it felt like they hired one. Like just some freelancers. They saw an advert <laughs> for, uh, oh, do you need strategy? Call 885 Klondike and you can hire us. Um, <laughs> do you get a sense though, that Carlos is starting his stock in the team? Yes. It's just creeping forward. A hundred percent. Yes. He's been doing better. I think in the last few weeks and, and his making himself known as, as less of a there to support Charles and more of a, I will do my race. It's been very impressive, I I have to say. Second career victory for him. Congratulations to him. Um, let's talk a little bit about the team that pushed Ferrari at the end. Your Mercedes Silver Arrows. My Mercedes. <laughs> now, oh, okay, I don't mind. I don't mind being called out as a as a fanboy. <laughs> I I'm I'm primarily a Hamilton fan, yes. but I like Mercedes. So I think you know, uh, would I be a Mercedes fan if Hamilton wasn't there? I'm not sure, but I generally have liked the way Mercedes have gone about stuff. I like the mm-hmm. people they put forward to explain the tech. I think I feel like they're a very generous team when it comes mm-hmm. to communications, and I feel that they're a fair team to a fault, perhaps sometimes. So by default, I will take your slander of being <laughs> of it being my team. I suppose they are. You may disagree with me on this, but I felt like they redeemed themselves a little bit today with some of the strategy decisions that they made. We've questioned them. We've questioned them a lot over the last few races. And I know that you've said 
semi recently that at times when they've zagged, uh, you felt like it was probably the wrong decision rather than the right decision. And that's been proven out um, a number of times this season. But I felt like George pushing the team to pit around lap 45 under that virtual safety car. It, it was definitely a big risk because he was in second place at the time. You know, it dropped them back, I believe, to like fifth and sixth or maybe even sixth and seventh. Um, but to get that new fresh medium tire and and to see them kind of go for the race win rather than being content to have George in second and Lewis behind. I, I liked it. I, I thought it was a very, very gutsy call. It didn't end up working out for, for poor George who crashed on the final lap, but for a while, it seemed like they might be able to make up enough spots to overtake Lando for at least second and third in the race. Do and you I'm think curious Mercedes, how you felt about it. I'm going to, I'm going to switch it a roo, switch a roo it, Meg Z, Shusty. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think Mercedes could have won this race? No, I, I don't. <gasps> um, but I do think everyone's tires are falling off at that point. And we saw how quickly they were lapping other cars under those medium tires. And I think that there's at least a realistic chance that you get two cars to podium rather than George holding on for dear life at the end, trying to hang on to second and potentially third. Oh man. Oh, George Russell. So where do we, where do we start with a uh, Mercedes? So let's start with the Mercedes tactics. I think, I think, uh, I think you're right. It was really bold. And my biggest criticism of Mercedes is, and this isn't as bad as it first sounds, is that they have a do nothing policy. So they mm. like to see a situation, see how it unfolds. And they're sort of more reactive than proactive. So, Bystanders. Uh, so I didn't realize at first, and by the way, this is great there. I think they've got, they've got one of the best comms media teams yes. as well. In the in the paddock, so uh, as soon as Ocon, <laughs> poor Ocon, oh, he sounded so sad. How sad did Ocon sound on his Why? birthday too? On his Tragic. birthday, you <laughs> cruel. Why are the F one gods so cruel? And and you know what? Quick diversion because I'm not the biggest Ocon fan, but my mate Trumpets is a massive Ocon fan. Um, but but like today, he was just on fire, like wheel to wheel racing. You know the mm-hmm. way he was opportunist around Alonso, like really outraced Alonso, which would yeah. have meant a lot to him, given that they had all they didn't seem to get on at Alpine. Mm-hmm. I don't think they mm-hmm. invited each other to each other's birthday parties, and so he did that, and then a, a great uh, cutback on Perez as well. So Ocon yes. was just looking on fire, and he was moving up the grid, and then you get just a failure like that, and that is just that is the gods of of racing. That will have been a seal somewhere i bet you know like a, a 17 pence seal or something has just worn <laughs> away and crumbled away and that's the end of your race it's unlucky so it's a virtual safety car and you go oh my goodness okay so all five all of the top five so that's what we've got signs the two mercedes norris and leclerc they were all just about clear of ocon uh yes ocon so ocon being the one that actually went out meant that they all had a, like a normal pit window to the mm-hmm. to the rear anyway. So suddenly that top five all had this magic roll of the dice, shall we, shan't we? So we didn't know at the time that Leclerc was going to balk and lose those tyres. If, if they could look back in hindsight, then Leclerc all day long is going to go, yeah, give me, give me some new yeah, tyres. I didn't right. know they were going to disappear and I would flake. And then he could have been charging up, you know, with the Mercedes as well, maybe. So for Mercedes to really kind of go ultra bold like that and i think toto will said he didn't rate their chances if they had just stayed out on the hards behind carlos Sainz and behind lando norris 
Mm -hmm. I'm, I, I think that's one of those things that is a little bit justifying the decision you made sure. because without sure. that safety car, I think all through the race, you're, you're betting on Mercedes to have better tyre wear than both the McLaren and Carlos Sainz. So you go, you saw how much they dropped off towards the end. Would Mercedes have dropped off on their hards? You're, you're sort of gambling not. And as the hards go off for everyone, that mm -hmm. delta that we're talking about of how much pace difference you need decreases because everybody's a little bit less on the edge anyway. Everyone's sliding around anyway. It gets a little bit more racy. So I don't know. I, I felt at the time when they rolled the dice, I was like, they've just thrown away a one-two. I really felt that at the time. We'll never know because of the gods of hindsight, but I thought they were just stalking the Mercedes, uh, the, the Ferrari. They were stalking Norris. And I, and I just thought, okay, well, you know, it's just a matter of time. Those tyres go away and they, and they pinch a, a one-two. But they went aggressive. They, they rolled the dice and uh, they went with this medium strategy. But that, that's the thing is it put them something, I think like 15 seconds behind. So Russell was 15 seconds off and then Hamilton was another five seconds back. Mm -hmm. At that point, I was, my faith in my team had crumbled completely. <laughs> I was like, this is a disaster. It's all, it's gone. They won't get them. Um, how were you feeling at that point? Um, I liked it a lot. And I think part of the reason that I liked it is because of what we saw from Max Verstappen and from Checo on the hard tires and what, and granted their car was not great all weekend, much, much different situation in that realm from the Mercedes. But when their tires went off, they went off. I think Max came over the radio and said it was like driving on ice. He said it was undrivable. Um, and, and they're typically a team that I think manages their tires pretty well. And so I don't know if Mercedes saw that and kind of forecasted out like, okay, well, what if we hit that point as well? And then our tires degrade and then it's not, you know, enough of a difference between us and Ferrari. Whereas we could pit now and try to be ultra aggressive on the mediums. It's good to see. See what happens. It was nice to see. It was so exciting though, because you're suddenly going, it was. Well, there's 12, there's 12 laps left. Uh, the front guys are doing 38. The Mercedes <laughs> are doing 36s. And you're just doing this kind of countdown maths. And mm -hmm. um, Singapore is a track where that tactic has never worked. So mm. I don't think, I think I've seen every Singapore Grand Prix for 15, 15 years. And I, I can't ever remember a team doing that, right, let's go for that late splash and dash on the tires and you know lose 20 seconds and make it back up. That has worked at lots of other tracks. You know, we've seen it, you know, we've seen it at the likes of Barcelona and Hungara Ring. You can see, you know, teams go, oh, that that cheeky extra, extra stop on a softer compound. Let's go for it. Never works at Singapore. So immediately I kind of wrote it off. But then the maths looked kind of good if you said, right, okay, they're making up 1.5. There's 15 laps left, and you're running out of fingers and toes. So you're having to take your, your socks off to count. And <laughs> it, it basically turned out that if if they got every overtake done perfectly and immediately, they, were, they would win the race. But what you never know in these situations is, as the car that stays out on the harder, harder older tire, you know someone's gone in for soft tires and you know they're going to charge. Mm -hmm. So immediately you go, I'm vulnerable. I now need to save as much as I can for this final battle. So when someone bolts on the soft tire near the end, what you almost always get is, oh my God, they're catching at an incredible rate. This is going to be over before it started. And then as they close, mm -hmm. then things start to look a little bit, you know, and it's not necessarily because the, the chasing team has run out of the, the softer tire. 
it is usually because the, the car at the front has managed that. And then when they've seen the car, you know, right, they're five seconds behind, they go, okay, now, you know, now's, now's the time to push. But it was such a, a fun battle. And if Mercedes are going to be in 2024 pushing for a title, maybe as the underdogs, maybe, you know, just, you know, as the plucky, as the plucky up and comers <laughs> to beat the Red Bull, that's what they need to do. That's what they, they need to do. They need to be bold. And I tell you what, Megan Schuster, they need to pick a number one driver and mm. give that driver priority because at the moment, I'm going to upset people. I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go for it. Okay. Do it. At do the, it. In this race, George Russell was in the way. He was in the way. <laughs> he was in the way. So he's a great, he's a great, he's a great young driver. He's, he's brilliant. He's, he's, he's fast, but he wasn't the fastest Grand Prix driver on track today. And in fact, I would say that Lewis Hamilton was the fastest driver car combination on the track today. And, and George Russell was, was going well, had qualified well, but he wasn't the right Mercedes to be behind that leading pack today. Okay, so then my question for you is, if Lewis is out ahead of George after that pit stop, do you think they have a chance of winning? Much, much, much more of a chance. So as they're making up that 15-second gap we were talking about, Hamilton's the fastest car. So yes. sometimes he's saving, sometimes he's pushing, but he is closing that gap. And then, uh, you know, they, they pass Leclerc. It looks easy because we didn't really realize how bad right. Leclerc's tires were going off. Right. And as soon as they got past, Leclerc dropped back like 13 seconds immediately. So you mm -hmm. go, oh, okay, okay. So Leclerc was like using the last of everything um, to, to defend. And we, we could credit him with playing a team game there. Mm -hmm. um, but Hamilton was just, was all over him. And as they were really pushing behind Norris, it was Russell that got slidey and sketchy yes. first. Yes. And even if that's not down to Hamilton's much, much better than George Russell, George Russell, with his reputation as Mr. Saturday at Williams, tends to set up, correct me if I'm wrong, with a little bit less downforce over a race weekend, Yeah, which means his car's going to slide around a little bit more. It's not as good on tyre wear, but it does get you up the grids on a, on a Saturday. So Mercedes have got this difficult situation where they've got Lewis Hamilton, seven-time world champion, fast driver on a Sunday, George Russell, incredibly quick, Mr. Saturday, loves a qualifying session, able to put it you know, together and get himself up on the grid on, on this Saturday. So fair play to him. But that wasn't the best setup for the situation they had today, which was to maintain your tires and have enough tires left to get past that McLaren and that Ferrari. And if they're going to challenge in 2024, they need to either say, well, you know, let's not have this, this Mr. Saturday. Let's not have this prioritizing qualifying. Mm -hmm. and, and, and or if you are going to prioritize qualifying, but then Lewis Hamilton is charging up behind you on race pace, get out of the way. Your chance to stay ahead is to qualify up ahead and stay ahead and, and disappear. But he was in the way today. So look, if, yeah. if let's, let's, this not fair. This is not fair on George Russell. But let's put ghost George Russell on ghost mode today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Lap one, Lewis Hamilton gets past Lando Norris, easily is making that, that corner, doesn't have to drop out of the way, and then goes and hunts down the Ferraris early in the race. So he's got a chance there to make an impact early because he's probably got a little bit more downforce, a little bit more race pace. We forget about the safety car for the minute. He would have had the chance to have gone a bit longer with a bit less tire wear. And then he would have had the chance to uh, attack Lando Norris, given that he had more race pace and better lap times catching up 
um, to to the front two. So from a could Mercedes have won today, George Russell was kind of in the way. People aren't going to like that. Email <laughs> Megan at the ringer.com. I love, I love this take from you, but I have to say, you know, it would help Lewis in the future. Qualifying Qualify better. better. Well, qualify, qualify better. better. But the thing, this is the thing. A lot of the teams now are, are, are set up more for a Saturday. So a lot of the, like same, like McLaren are definitely set up more for a Saturday. Sure. Uh, Ferrari, Ferrari flatter themselves on a Saturday compared to a Sunday this season. Russell is is pushing for qualifying. And so there's a fine balance between that that sacrifice of, well, you know, do you prioritize the Saturday? And and certainly last season I was saying on here that qualifying has never been less important because you can overcome that on a Sunday. For whatever reason, it's a bit less like that this season. So, you know, where where is that balance? But if you've got two team two drivers in a team that are kind of going slightly different ways mm-hmm. on setups, prioritizing yeah. qualifying over race pace, that's okay. But then you can't have them getting in each other's way. Right. Yeah. That's a conversation you need to have. Um, first Lewis podium of the year. That was exciting. Get in there, Lewis. I mean, I have no strong opinions one way or the other. <laughs> but but again, 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 that that was down to George Russell making the kind of error that he is actually he is prone to every now and then. We do get these moments from him, um, you know, like crashing under the safety car when he had an amazing chance for points. At Williams, you know, things like, you know, the running into the Bottas, that, those just little moments of r- rushes of blood or lapses of concentration that he gets you don't a, see. Huh? He gets a little out ahead, ahead of himself at times. Maybe, or maybe, yeah. And, and or was it was it a Monza where I, I said on the Saturday he, he was acting like he thought he'd already won. He thought mm. he'd already gotten a, a podium for the for the Saturday and, and then was and then was very, very much on the radio saying, hey, we were. We we predicted a podium. Why aren't yeah, I in what the happens? podium positions anymore? What happened anymore? Because in his head, I think he'd already kind of collected it. But you know, do we see Max Verstappen, either you know Lewis Hamilton, Fernando Alonso? Do you see them binning it into a wall from podium positions? And in fact, I'm trying to think of the last time a driver, not in an overtaking maneuver, crashed out of a podium position. And I think I'm. I think you're going to have to go back quite a long way. I, th- I think you're probably right. That was very tough finish for him. Maybe he regrets the tire change and maybe he could have finished second had he not. Who knows? I hope he's not listening now because he's going to be like, oh, I hate that Spanners. Why is he, <laughs> why is he done that? I know it seems harsh, but I'm just like all the no, other I teams, all the champions, all the great champions were number one drivers in their teams. It feels like. And look, Lewis isn't going to be here forever. What's he got now? New two-year contract? Just. Mm-hmm. Number eight, get behind him. Don't have them taking points off each other. And then when he's gone, you can George Russell your heart out, can't you? He's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's 17 years old. He's got, that, he's got decades ahead of him. He's a child. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall. 
chosen by champions. This episode is brought to you by Mobile One. The Mobile One brand knows podcasts are a great escape. You can listen to people talking about living and maybe even driving, but of course, there's no substitute for the real thing. So the next time you're looking for an escape, try an actual escape. Take this podcast for a ride in the car and immerse yourself in the drive, because sometimes the best way to escape reality is to truly live in it. Mobile One, for the love of driving. Visit loveofdriving.us slash the ringer to learn more. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. I feel like I need to take a deep breath before we get into Red Bull, but... Okay. All right. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That team. Huh. Weird. Weird. Do you remember Red Bull? Do you remember when Red Bull were a thing? Yeah. What What, what a time that was. What What happened to Red Bull? Two weeks ago. Feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah, just honestly zero pace all weekend. You and I were messaging Friday about the possibility that they might not win. And at the time, I kind of refused to get out ahead of myself. But then they finished 11th and 13th in qualifying. And on this track and with their car set up, it seemed sort of inevitable that they would not win. I think they still ended up getting a pretty great result considering just how rough this car looked at times this weekend. And granted, Red Bull sets their car up more for the race than they do for qualifying. So it's not, you know, completely shocking that Max came back and got into fifth today, but just very, very rough. And I think this was a track that Red Bull has been worried about all season. It seems that way, at least from, from what they've been saying this week. I know Max had said at one point that as they were kind of going through simulations early in the season, that this was one that the car just does not do well with. And Christian Horner had tried to explain away their lack of pace this weekend, saying they just couldn't get the tires in the right window to get them to fire up properly. There's also been some speculation that a new technical directive from the FIA may have had something to do with this. I haven't Uh, haven't heard anything about this. this, uh, It's it's called TD18, I believe. And it isn't really so much of a new regulation as a message that the FIA would be enforcing some rules more strictly than they had in the past kind of giving teams a heads up to be ready for this. This mostly applies to flexible parts on the car, namely I think what have been referred to as flexi wings, which have been popular with a few teams this year, especially Red Bull. I think Mercedes has also used them to a certain extent. Been very notable on Red Bull given their DRS advantage over the course of this season and has had a lot of people questioning whether their drop off this season is because they were not, or drop off this race was because they were not able to use that flexible part, but what, what did you, what did you see from Red Bull overall this weekend? And what are you kind of taking away from their performance? So the teams, and this, this was all sort of bubbling before Monza. 
And you should always, I'm not a great source of anything. I'm not a journo. I'm not Chris Medlin. So just take it with a pinch of salt. But, you know, I do have some friends who, you know, are in F1 media in, in and around F1. And the odd cheeky person from an F1 team might DM me occasionally as well. So from what I can gather, the the teams that were basically outside of the rules for using flexible aero parts. So that is parts that will give you the downforce in the corner. But then as you go into the straight, will kind of give way a little bit to then let the airflow go over. The, the mm -hmm. teams that were primarily doing that was Red Bull, Mercedes, Ferrari, Aston Martin, McLaren, Alpine, Williams, Haas, Alfa Romeo, Alfa Tauri. <laughs> so basically... So the entire ten, grid. <laughs> the entire grid was doing this. So I think there was a bit of a discrepancy between what the FIA load tests could detect and how they actually behaved on on track with aerodynamic mm -hmm. load so look at any onboard the most obvious one is look at any onboard from before monza and you will see the outside of the rear wing lowering compared to the inside of the rear wing nearer the nose so you're getting the aerodynamic force as you go into the corner pushing the tires down and then that would go away and basically this has been going on i think for quite some time and a lot of the teams have have developed their whole aerodynamic flow around the principle that they're going to lose a bit of the drag that they use in the corner. Once you get to the straight, they're going to lose a bit more of that, and that dictates the airflow. So I was, I was talking to someone respectable before mm. Monza, and there was a possibility, and I, I'm disappointed this didn't happen, but this person was predicting that one of the teams would basically go for a legal set of aerodynamics that, that actually did conform to this technical directive, and then protest the other nine teams. Yeah, so there was a very serious threat of that, like someone turning up and going, okay, we're going to, because it's, um, it's the front wing, it's the rear mm -hmm. uh, wing. I understand that. That seems fairly easy for my head to understand. But then also there's something with the floor, and I can't yes. quite figure out how you would get yeah. that advantage from, from a flexible floor. Um, I think it's to do with the, the plank and the way that yes. the plank responds to uh, how the car sits up in the corners and then down on the straights. Technical, technical, technical. Let's let mm -hmm. the likes of Craig Scarborough and uh, Matthew Summerfield worry about that. Um, so, yeah, so one team could turn up, fix all of that, not win, and then protest the results. But I think <laughs> they've all kind of, they all came together before Monza to make sure that didn't happen. And then, uh, so there is a lot of argument now in the pundit world. Has Red Bull been nerfed? Have they been hobbled by this technical directive? Because if they were the team that was getting the most advantage from using flexible parts, then they would obviously be the team that would be affected by it the, the most. Mm -hmm. So what most people I think are missing is that this happened pre-Monza. So whilst it looks very bad this weekend, last weekend, they looked like their advantage was less. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. It was like they were less far away. So the, the answer, you know, so... So yes, it looks bad here because the characteristics of the track are bad. There was a lot going on with the rear suspension. They're, they're having to, to manage curbs in a different way and they can't quite lower it and, and connect to the, to the road and get the ground effect like they normally did. Um, so, and this is just from me kind of sniffing around and messaging people I know. The best I can gather is the technical directive has definitely affected Red Bull more than a lot of other teams. It's just that it wasn't that apparent at Monza and here, it's a very exaggerated amount because of the track specifications. So if you're expecting that to then carry on to Suzuka, you might be disappointed. It might be more like Monza, where they're ahead, but with 
less of an advantage. But I, <laughs> I'm I'm satisfied in the work I have done that the technical that technical directive has affected Red Bull. Others will disagree. Yeah, a, a lot of cold water got poured on sort of the tin foil hat theory that this was all due to the technical directive. I know even teams around the paddock were saying like, "There's there's no way this is all due to one thing. There's no way that there's." this big of a pace discrepancy with them changing these flexible wings. And Mark Hughes did a, a really good deep dive on the race that I think is worth reading about just why Red Bull was, was so horrible this weekend. And okay. I am, I am not an engineer, so I, I would have a hard time really regurgitating a lot of it, but the gist of it seemed to be that um, Red Bull had to run the car at a much higher. Right height. Yeah. yeah much higher rear. height. Yeah to keep the car at a legal minimum height in Singapore. And as it typically runs lower than the rest of the field, its aerodynamics were not optimized for that height. So it just mm. was not going to do well. You could probably explain it a lot better than I could. I nope. went to journalism <laughs> school. So the whole engineering thing is beyond me. But no, this uh, track but... really came at an, a very interesting time for all of those uh, kind of F1 conspiracy theorists out there to to get their takes off, which, which I love reading, to be fair. Yeah. Um, so the truth just, is, you know, let's, let's not look at individual data points. Let's not look at spikes. Let's look for, for trends. So, yes, it's really come sure. onto the radar for this race. But, you know, I was looking at Monza. And I was like, oh, that's not the effect that I was quite expecting. And then you go here. I was like, ah, oh, that is much more what I was expecting from what I'd heard the effect was going to be. And then we'll go to Suzuka next weekend and, and maybe – it's the same and maybe uh maybe it's not quite as 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 stark but don't i would say don't take that data point either let's see how it plays mm -hmm. out over the next 3 or 4 races and it will become apparent but the the qualifying gap between Sergio Perez and Max Verstappen is more like it was pre Miami so i think that's interesting i think that's worth keeping an eye on um mm -hmm. so let's so let's see let's keep our powder dry but at the moment this was a technical directive that i was expecting three weeks ago to affect Red Bull, and it has. So to me, the very simplest ex explanation is they've had some of their toys taken away, but, you know, we stand to be corrected. I, I will be very curious to see how they look in Japan next week, Max, in talking about how poorly the car performed on simulations for Singapore said that it bounced back and looked just fine in Japan. So again, these are all simulations, but... I think both he and Checo kind of came into this weekend saying that they expected problems and that happened. And mm. it doesn't totally seem like they're expecting this to continue in Japan. So I guess we'll have to see. All season, when I've been asked about Max Verstappen's performance, I've said you can't tell because he's clearly got an advantage over his teammate. He's miles ahead. I don't know how well he did because he could have been two seconds, uh, you know, uh, two tenths of a lap slower and he would still have won that race at a canter. Today, he had an absolute pig and he defended sensibly he, they the tactics were going well he managed the tires well um he he pushed and did uh, decent overtakes when he was required to so mm -hmm. this i think is one of the first races of the season where i can go i think max verstappen had a blinding race like he really raced well and was the standout of the midfield i i would agree i i found his performance very impressive um Almost, I think, was, you know, under a half a second, maybe 0.3 seconds away from overtaking Charles Leclerc at the end there for fourth yeah. place. So, yeah, very, very impressive drive with a terrible car. And, yeah, we'll see how they can rebound in Japan. Um, how do you feel about Singapore 
the track as a whole? What what did you um, see from it? What do you think of the new layout? What do you like about it or dislike about it? I hate all street tracks. So when so when I'm inevitably put in charge of of F1, yeah, we can do a which, we can, I, which one do you, can we start what? your campaign here? I think so. I think you take over from Liberty. So you you take over from FOM and be the rights holder. I'll run the Great. FIA. Yeah. Great. So, you know, together so, we'll talk about which tracks, you know, we can go to. I'll, I'll do the raw yeah. side. You, you, um, you, you push it onto the world stage because you're American. You're good like that. You, you're, you're, you're show offs. <laughs> you'll show people. Yes. So, um, yes. When I, when I'm in charge of, uh, of that, I, I think you have to really look at street tracks and go, are we having a street track for the sake of it? Are we mm. having a street track for, so for the sake of it, this won't be popular, but for the sake of it is Miami. You know, it's, it, that's a commercial decision. Las Vegas is a commercial decision. Yes. Um, okay, so we've got it. We've got it there for the sake of it. Are you willing to invest and put, you know, uh, emotional energy into it, sporting energy into it, and and build something? You know, so you look at Singapore. Have they made improvements over the years? Uh, they, I think, it being a night race adds a certain something that makes it u- unique on the calendar. Mm-hmm. You know, what what are they bringing? And so Singapore does bring something in an era when that, that started, where we weren't being drowned in street tracks. So when it was Singapore and Singapore and Monaco, I was still angry about Monaco, I'm not going to lie. But Singapore was like this, you know, destination event that stood mm. out on the calendar. And, and you just, but you knew it was going to be a bit of a dull strategy race uh, because they just, you know, it was all about managing for a one-stop um, it's better than Miami. It's I, I'm very confident it's going to be better than you know Las Vegas and Qatar and the Saudi track. And so you go, okay, so it's as 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 far as far as the very low standards I judge street tracks by. You know, I like it. It's got it's got certain sections that look quite race tracky, um, especially I think the 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 back straight onto the start finish line. And it's got a decent, you know, turn one, two complex. So I don't like hate it, hate it. But you couldn't have a whole series based around Singapore style tracks. I think it mm-hmm. would, I think it would, it, that series would, would die. I certainly like it better without the corners that they took out. I think it was what, 16 through 19 this year yeah. is what they took out. So that was nice. It made it a bit of a faster track. Like you said earlier, less tire deg, which was interesting. They did say on the broadcast, though, that they've never run a Singapore Grand Prix without a safety car, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, lots of lots of room for accidents, as as we saw numerous times today. Yeah. So I, I like it from the perspective that I think it's a challenging drive and that gives you something different from some of the more wide open tracks. I did find the early part of the race when everyone was bunched together within, I don't know if it was... 20, I, yeah. 12 or 15 seconds of each other. I, I didn't find that especially enticing. No, um, you really do need you, the safety cars yeah. here to kind of spice things up, I think. <laughs> oh, and the same with Baku. I left Baku off that oh, list. Oh, yeah. Ba- yep. Ba- yep. Ba- Baku, if there's a safety car, there's there's a chance. It's a well-timed safety car, and that makes it exciting. If not, it's it's generally, you know, it's a dud. And, and it is because, you know, the walls create this more aero wash. They discourage racing and overtaking. So I know people call Hungaro Ring Monaco without the walls. It's like no, <laughs> the walls is the thing that makes it bad. So yeah, yeah. it's like it's the yeah. it's ice cream without making you fat and sad. 
you know. So that, that's I love ice cream so much, um, but I'm fat and happy. That's the difference. So yeah, um, <laughs> I put myself off. Um, so so when they were all bunched up, yeah, you think you want the cars to be really close. You think you want that kind of Porsche supercar bunching up of the cars, but in reality, they weren't racing hard. They weren't pushing. What you've mm-hmm. got is a peloton start. You've got like a a road bike, road cycling style of racing where they're all conserving their resources for a later point in the race. And so whilst, yeah, we had people, you know, in our forums complaining, oh, it's boring, it's boring. And then towards the end, they went, oh, no, it's fun now. You kind of have to realize that it's baked in. So at races like that, where it's hard to overtake and people can manage the pace, that's a feature, not a bug of that race. So the Singapore Mm -hmm. Grand Prix is all about positioning themselves to make sure that they can have the kind of stints they want towards the end of the the Grand Prix. Um, So I'm not a fan of that. Um, It happened in Formula E when I think they raced at Portland on a a proper Grand Prix track, but they didn't have the energy to go flat out throughout the race. So Mm. it turned turned into this bunched up Peloton style style racing. And I'm not a massive fan of that because, you know, nothing can happen. There's enough time for if a driver goes, okay, I'm going to use some of my tires now and push they go into this aero wash and the car in front because they're driving three or four seconds slower than they can they just go oh oh well i'll just go a bit quicker then you know right and it's right. it's very difficult to kind of force the pace and make anything happen um ultimately f1 is going to insist on racing on street tracks and i don't like them i think your take is right though that these every once in a while are interesting enough in in the strategy calls and the things that teams do and but doing this every week would be very exhausting. I have one last question for you today, and it's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. I know. But I know um, is Logan Sargent uh, becoming the new Nicholas Latifi? So uh, I'm very disappointed that you've you've said that. Actually, <laughs> Megan, I'm disappointed. So if you could just remove those U.S. flags you've got in the background uh-huh, and just pull uh-huh. them down because you don't you don't deserve them. I'll tell you what happened. It was probably a hydraulic failure again, wasn't it? <laughs> So think, where was it? <laughs> when he just where when was, he just drove straight into the wall. But the, it it was a very similar type of crash, a very kind of oh like sudden understeery crash into the wall, ninety degree bend. What was the track that he crashed in? It wasn't Monza, was it? Um, it was the track no. before that. But basically, he had a similar accident, and James Vowles then said, "No, no, no, it was a sudden hydraulic failure." And we'll we'll take them at their word. But I suggested that Logan Sargent is crashing enough that it makes you kind of look at that statement and go, uh-huh, really? Okay, maybe mm-hmm. that's a little bit of top cover. Mm-hmm. So I don't mm-hmm. know if there has been any excuse made for that today, but you know, what's the number one thing that I would wish for Logan Sargent is to not hear from him. That would be the best thing that can happen for Logan Sargent in that Williams is that he doesn't appear on the broadcast, but he does and he keeps appearing for crashing. And even in that race where he had the hydraulic failure, I think he also crashed in qualifying as yes. well. So... Yes. I don't know what's going on. Is he over pushing or does he just not have the capacity to keep an F1 car out of the wall? But, you know, Williams are making supportive noises, uh, but I think that they have to move away from Logan Sargent to be a serious team. Logan Sargent has to, has to get it together somehow if he's got it in there. But right now, yes, Logan Sargent is a faster Latifi. Is that, okay, is that fair? He's a yeah, faster yeah, Latifi. Yeah, he's, he's definitely faster. He's, he's 
on his, on the days he doesn't crash, he is more entertaining to watch than Nicholas Latifi there we was, go. which is on something. On the days he doesn't crash. Yeah, he's better and, than and Latifi I, when he's not crashing. I've been trying to give him the benefit of the doubt because he was definitely the least experienced rookie coming in this year. It, you know, takes takes a while to get up to speed on F1 tracks. And he's he's had some some races where he's looked all right, but uh, he's he's getting lapped right now by Oscar Piastri and even Liam Lawson, who had no experience coming into this, had no, you know, sort of off-season training program with the team, got really thrust into this after Daniel Ricciardo's injury. And he's looked great and has managed to largely keep the car on track. So at some point, something has to give. And I don't know how long the team wants to continue with something like this. Granted, he did at least manage to finish the race this time, which is something considering he was dragging half of his front wheel underneath the floor of his car for like half a lap at one point, you know which what? is I difficult was, to watch. I was happy he got back out again because I thought, well, that does too. mean that there's a high chance of another safety car to keep the race interesting. <laughs> so, but look, I'm sorry, but at the moment, Logan Sargent is, he should be one of 27 cars or 28 cars on the grid and he should be going and doing what he's doing in the background and us not being too worried about him while he finds his feet. At the moment, he's one of 20 cars. It's most, supposed to be one of the 20 superstars and it's not happening, but he's not on his own. There are, you know, he's one of three buy-in drivers at the moment, um, but he's the one that's drawing most attention. But a little bit of flack was taken off him by Lance Stroll, who is the most notorious buy-in driver sure. in F1 because his, his, his entire team has been bought for his benefit. <laughs> and he just stuck it in the wall in Q2, which was, it was really fascinating because he... On that lap, the whole of the third sector on the onboard, he didn't look in control through mm. any corner. Mm. And he even said, he said, the lap was looking rubbish, so I pushed us even more and hoped oh. for a miracle in the final sector. Where did you think that miracle was going to come from? <laughs> um, so, like, he was he was nowhere for the first two segment, segments of the lap, so he was going to be out. And he decides to just push and push and push uh, and ends up in the wall big massive crash one of those that as as a modern f1 fan you look at that and maybe you're less worried but mm -hmm. for someone who's been watching since 1986 a lot of the time when a, there's a crash like that that's a fatality so you're really sure. holding your breath going oh my goodness like the fact that he can just walk away from that right. um, is incredible but it was his fault it was his fault yeah. he was clearly driving on the raggedy edge and even said yeah i was i pushed hoping for a miracle to get out of q2 but he was nowhere in in that whole qualifying session anyway He's been nowhere in the previous races. He's been utterly shown up by Alonso. And then when it came to race day, they didn't say, oh, well, Lance Stroll has got a neck strain, so he can't, he can't race. He's, he's got um, ligament damage. It wasn't like the sort of clear injury you get from mm -hmm. sports people where you go, oh, okay, he's got an accretion ligament. He's, he's, he's a snapped a metatarsal. You know, he's, he's got a, a, a muscle strain. And then you know that's a week or whatever. It was, he's feeling a bit sore from yesterday. So whether this is poor PR from Aston Martin or whether they genuinely think that feeling a bit sore from the day before is a legitimate reason not to go to, to the big game, it's, it's something that as a, you know, as a amateur sportsman and as a sideline coach yelling at my kids, you kind of, you kind of just want to yell, just rub some dirt in it and get on with it. So is it that he, he, from saying, oh, he's a bit sore so he didn't race, it makes it sound like, he wouldn't have been very comfortable to race. You know, they didn't right. state an actual right. injury. So whether it's a PR thing, if it's a PR thing, they've made their drivers seem a bit weak 
if it genuinely is, well, I'm a bit battered and bruised. I'm a bit bruised from that crash. You know, then MotoGP would like a word because, you know, you're a top line athlete. You are meant to, you know, duct tape a stick onto your broken bones and go crawling into battle. And it's, um, yeah, it didn't, it didn't come off well. So look, if they come up and go, well, he had a neck strain, that is a, you know, that is a prescribable injury and it's sensible to leave him out. But it sounds like he was just a bit shaken up from the crash and he didn't, didn't get back in the car. Yeah. And to a certain extent, I, I can understand that. I don't foresee that they would have necessarily gotten a great result out of that car either way. So maybe there is a world in which, you know, letting, giving him the weekend to kind of recover mentally. If he is shaken up from it, from that perspective, maybe that is the way to go. But, but I think your point about the team is, is correct in that you would think they would have offered him a little bit more cover than that. Yeah. Either from blame it on, you know, we, we couldn't get the car together in time. We couldn't, you know, he had some other thing going on. You, you would think that they would protect him (laughs) a little bit more than they did. Suspected ligament damage. Very vague, sure. and by next week, no, it was just a bit of bruising, but we were being cautious, so that's fine. Um, obviously, I'm a little bit more anti-Lance uh, Stroll, just because, I'd like, I'll admit it, I've got a working-class chip on my shoulder, and the, the buy-in drivers have to do a lot more to win me over and have to do a lot less for make, to make me go, oh, boo. So, yeah, the fact that he's there kind of crashing into walls, not looking into his mirrors, being miles off the pace and being in one of the top teams in the top tier of motorsport. I think the situation to me is coming to a head with all that talk of him, you know, wanting to go off and, and play tennis. I just, I honestly, the, the fact that he didn't get back in the car today and the fact that he had cost his team so highly with his mistake to rob them of a Grand Prix car on the Saturday, I genuinely would wonder if people at Aston Martin aren't thinking this has come to its end this is you know this is reaching its natural conclusion and finally i hope that they made that decision before the aston martin engineers stayed up all night fixing the car ready sure. for him to go on sunday sure yes anything else you want to hit on from today any no, mclaren well, thoughts i want to be quite positive because that was all a bit of be negative nearly you end we ended on the lance stroll thing i didn't want to do that um <laughs> yeah no L- lando norris uh, and actually piastri was really unlucky so he was really unlucky yes. he was one of those caught out by the lance stroll thing so he could have qualified a lot higher it would have been wonderful to see what mclaren could have done with two drivers up there mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. because they had no mm-hmm. tactical options you know whatsoever um but Lando Norris in that position, you know, he's a really good defensive driver. Um, he's he's very, very consistent these days as well. He was the perfect driver to be in that car to pick up second place. I don't think there was a realistic first place uh, on the table for McLaren because, um, yeah, Ferrari could comfortably stay ahead of them. But fourth or fifth would have been an amazing finish for them today. So second place for Lando Norris is just absolutely stellar. So, McLaren have definitely made that step forward. Mm-hmm. They've, but I, I still, I think they are punching above their weight. The results they've had have been punching above their weight. So while others have made mistakes, fallen away, made errors, they haven't, um, and the drivers have delivered. I, I just, I, I don't want anyone to to think that they're the second best team at the moment because I don't think they are. Sure. But considering they're not. They're doing an awful good job of convincing people that they're the second best team at the moment. And, you know, they're they're not a million miles away. Best of the rest, whatever that means these days. Um, Yeah, a massive, massive leap forward for McLaren. It's very exciting to see. I think that's all from us today. 
Thank Anna. you, Spanners, for joining. Thanks to Erica Cervantes and Chloe Clark for the production help. And thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been the Ringer F1 show. We will be back very soon. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.